welcome to episode five of Saladcast. Um, we're back again, Glint. How are you doing? Yeah, um, we're back, and we're back to talk about some live football that we watched, Ollie, um, as well as a lot of other stuff that's gone on this week. It's been a, quite a busy week, I suppose, in terms of uh, turning around what we went to witness on Saturday. But yeah, quite a lot to cover this week, mate. Yep, yep, plenty of things to talk about, um, and maybe worth getting into that. So obviously, very short notice. So so short notice, that actually, that Hull um, and Luton um, pulled out um, in terms of doing a trial. Um but um, yeah, fantastic to be in. And if I'm this, I'm happy to kind of go on out on the edge. I don't think Shrewsbury Town fans have actually missed a home game now, have we? Technically, nope. because um, obviously we had the home game to Oxford to United, and then we had a home game against Northampton. And um, luckily, we got to see um, both games. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get the result we wanted today um, on Saturday, but um, we got to get in there. But it was a bit of a rush. Um, I think the club did the best thing in terms of doing um, first come first serve. But um, yes, uh, Ticketmaster. Um, oh. Yeah, didn't help us out again. <laughs> well, they did. They never bloody do, do they? I mean, we actually had a good ticket sales thing with Liverpool, didn't we? We got that right for once, and um, you know, Ticketmaster they didn't. We didn't need to change our system. It, it, it was just using the away ticket system we normally do. But whenever something interesting or different comes up, the Ticketmaster system always just fails, or the tickets never actually get sold on the time they're supposed to be announced for. And I've had my say on the Southcast over the last three years about how awful they are and why I wish Brian had dumped them for any other provider really so especially if it was something more bespoke and a company that actually wanted our trade and, and considered us to be quite an important company to them because at the same time as we were trying to get our tickets sorted you know Ticketmaster is selling what Lady Gaga tickets hundreds of thousands of Lady Gaga tickets I think it's probably less of a focus for them but they were awful but the club on the other hand you know they did the right thing they got Shoot Town fans back in and we should all be incredibly thankful for that um, and we will talk at the end of this about the experience of the thousand fan trial and we're also planning on a, a special podcast maybe later this week Ollie aren't we with some, some some of the sort of key players so we'll maybe keep our powder dry on that at the end but in all honesty you know it was a shambles I, I was on the bloody 15th green at Celtic Manor when the tickets were supposed to go on sale so I pulled over to get my phone out and get my ticket and what was it an hour and 37 minutes before anyone could actually use the system by which point a lot of tickets had already been sold so yeah two many hours people... for me oh, yeah I was, I was at home working <sighs> from home so I had the benefit of working from home and I feel for fans that kind of didn't know that it's kind of yeah it's just unfortunate I've had to get it done as quick as possible and get the tickets processed but yeah it took me two hours um, if I'd actually got a ticket every time I'd press kind of proceed, <laughs> um, I would have taken a third of the tickets, I reckon. Yeah, it's funny. We were talking uh, about this. We obviously met up before the match yesterday, didn't we, in, in the uh, fan zone, which was, we'll cover in a little bit. But yeah, we were talking about the fact that it might be all worth it because if there is some sort of other lockdown or more restrictions now or this pilot is stopped, then we've got 100% attendance at Shoe Town Games this season, which we can go <laughs> to, Ollie. So that'd be a positive and it'd be the same for everyone else. But yeah, I hate Ticketmaster. I, I hate the, the way that they treat this club sometimes. And um, we got through it. We only had to get a 1,000 tickets sold and they did uh, we should mention there are a few people who are a bit grisly about the whole situation because it was only announced on social media and, and in the press briefly so you know some people were saying why didn't the club email everybody to say this was happening and they missed their chance so maybe a few things that could have been done slightly better but that's very harsh on the club I think they did the best they could and obviously I would say that I got a ticket but yeah um a tricky situation and yeah. the one they, they got through, I suppose. Yeah, it's funny because um, I was emailing Brian when it didn't work. Uh, I mean, normally just, he's normally quite good, actually. He just appreciates feedback and comments and stuff because if he doesn't know, how can he fix it? Yeah. Um, but I did email him at the end to say, oh, um, I've got a ticket and also Glyn has got one. Now, we didn't use his exact words, Glyn. He used an abbreviation, but he said, oh, thank fuck for that. <laughs> 
Oh, well, there you go. Good old Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been sending him a strongly worded email. But yeah, I, you know, I, it's hard not to be annoyed with Ticketmaster. And Brian will understand this because I've, I've sat, sat and sat with Brian at sports parliament meetings and, and not been the only one expressing concerns with Ticketmaster. And, you know, the contract did come up, I think it was maybe a year or so ago. And, and you know, there were decisions to be made by the football club. And, we re- and I think during that time, we'd just been screwed over by Ticketmaster on something else. I can't quite remember what it was now, but Brian decided to go with them again. So essentially, all these problems with Ticketmaster, they do fall at Brian's door because he did have the chance to move away from them. But yeah, there we go. We've got away with it. We've got a thousand fans in and um, we should look at the positives. And that is the Ticketmaster rant, Ollie. Should we move on to yeah, the next bit, really? We <laughs> should, yeah. Slightly worse in some respects. Um, yeah, much worse. Yeah, because obviously one of the things that did affect us on Saturday um, is, is the Ollie Norburn situation. And, and I think most fans will probably know about it from what he posted on social media. Um, but obviously Ollie was uh, going to have a, a child and unfortunately they, they lost that child um, during childbirth. And, and Ollie obviously posted up um, with his sadness uh, of the situation, letting people know what's going on. Um, and I, th- I saw an outpouring of absolute love respect and, and kindness from our fan base towards Ollie Norburn and I think it is just worth us mentioning that because when these sorts of things do happen and it has happened to Town players before if you remember Ollie, um, yeah. we all do rally around people because there is a kindness and, and a caring uh, streak through our fan base so I thought it was yeah. just worth mentioning because I think you know, on top of the thousand fans going in and following the rules, that also showed how good our fan base is. And, and on behalf of Salopcast, I suppose we would just pass on our very best to Ollie Norburn and the rest of his family on what is a tricky situation. So, um, yeah, it was love and love and care for us, really. I suppose. Yeah, I really feel for his partner. It must yeah. be really traumatic. Um, can't even imagine or even pretend to try and no. understand it. I was, uh, I was chatting to um, a lady called Ali Harvey on private message because I didn't really want to say what happened um, in, in public. It's not really, I don't know, it doesn't seem right. And she seemed really upset about it. And I think that's how a lot of um, people felt, especially mothers who were impacted by this. But yeah, it's um, unfortunate. And, um, and obviously Ollie didn't, wasn't a member of the squad um, for this weekend. And um, I think we missed him and we look forward to him coming back. And yeah, hopefully um, all being well, um, um, they'll 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 be they'll be fine and but it must be yeah they need some bit of privacy and some time I'm sure to come over this and they'll certainly get that from our fans no doubt for that and um, yeah I think that, you know it's it's interesting one isn't it? normally we rush straight in to talk about the game but as I say there's been so much gone on this week um, particularly with that ticket situation Ollie it was probably worth just kind of getting that done up front but I suppose um, yeah it, it's Positives and negatives about what we're talking about here, Ollie. I suppose positives off the pitch and what's gone on um, in terms of how we worked hard to get all our fans in, but maybe not on the pitch, mate. So I'm looking forward to talking about what was a, an interesting game, I think, in terms of signposts for the rest of our season, mate. So, yeah, let's 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 get on to talking about the game. Lynch shoots. There it is, the open goal. Tommy Lynch has scored for Shrewsbury. <laughs> Through the wall, past Barry Richardson. So, unfortunately, Shrewsbury Town 1, Northampton Town 2, with a goal from Sean Wally on 54 minutes, but that was bookended with goals from Marshall and Hoskins on 12 and 65 minutes, in front of an attendance that was 1,000 fans, which I don't believe is probably true, Ollie. I think a few fans did There was a gap to my left. I don't know whether it was my odour or what, but yeah, there was a gap to my left where there should have been some fans. So I think it might have been in the 900s. It might have been one of our record lowest tenants, but I don't really think that counts on the on the circumstances we'll, we'll go on to discuss. Um, just a few stats, really, uh, to talk about. This is obviously a continuation of our league form from last season, and it was interesting looking back a little bit, Ollie, going back, I, I just picked 12 games at random, um, and looking at the last 12 league games, we've only won two now. 
Um, so it isn't like our league form is, is changed all that much in terms of form from the end of last season at the moment, but obviously very early days. And it means we've only taken 11 points from 36 now in the last 12. So did feel a little bit like we needed a win on Saturday or, or need a win at some point in the next couple of weeks, really, just to sort of say, you know, we're starting to turn the league form around from, from the, even the end of last season where, yeah, we finished a little bit better, but it still wasn't, you know, great, I suppose. Um, and yeah, we're already two points worse off than we were this point last season, but again, early days. So just a few interesting stats there. Um, it's an interesting game, as we said, Ollie, in terms of a, a number of things, really. And you, you took it upon yourself to manfully watch it back today because you're a mad lad. But um, yeah, what, what, what was the main reason you wanted to watch it all back today? Yeah, I wanted to back you up because it was one of those games where you come away a little bit confused. And I think a lot of fans felt this way. And there was a lot of interest in discussion um, late night uh, on Twitter last night. And even like at 9pm last night, I was still trying to kind of process the game. Um, so I wanted to watch it back because I wanted to see kind of what we did well, what we went wrong um, and get a a clear understanding of what happened in the game. I don't do this all the time, but for me, I thought it was interesting. Um, and it's, yeah, we've got quite a detailed match agenda if we want to go yeah. and use it all. We don't necessarily need to do that. But it's, um, yeah, it's a lot of interesting points to cover. And I think hopefully I'll I'll have quite a lot bit of clarity and, mm. maybe, and bring that to the podcast of what I saw. Yeah, I think it's fair. You know, it's easy to come away from that game and say, oh, we lost it because the keeper made an error. I think there's a lot more to it than that. And, and I think that when you've watched the whole game there, and particularly when you watch it back twice, you'll probably see even more of that. But let's start at the start, Ollie. We were we were in the fan zone, having a nice uh, couple of ciders, which always bodes well for me, to be honest with you. Um, and it was nice, wasn't it, actually? You know, getting back to the game, we, we just talked about that and actually physically being there. But one of the things that I thought was great about Saturday for me, and I'm sure it was the same for quite a lot of people looking at the fan zone, was that social side of it returning. You know, coming and meeting a few of your friends, having a couple of drinks, just having a bit of a chat about things, making sure everyone's been okay through lockdown and sort of chat checking in and, and that was good wasn't it was it was a real good fun hour, hour before kickoff yeah it was really good I and mean, it was really nice um, I, was, I counted actually before the game um, this week at work I've worked I've worked over 120 days consecutively from home now <laughs> um, and where I live um, I've got a lot of my friends live all over the country and, um, and I don't have a lot, among us, a lot of mates where I live quite close so it was actually see I was chatting to Pete um, and I was telling him that you know He's probably in like a handful of people I've actually spoke to in the last six months who I know because you can't. I was going to go and see a friend of mine in Manchester a few weeks ago and they're in lockdown now. So for me, it was really, really nice to chat to you, to Chris and just have that bit of social scene. And yeah, for me, it helped me, I think, um, in terms of seeing people. It was great. Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, my parents didn't get tickets, and my brother, um, it was one of his uh, children's birthdays over the weekend, so he didn't go either. So, sort of the only one for my family. And I met them up today and, and been having a chat about it. And one of the questions they asked me, Ollie, which I thought was interesting, was what was the makeup of fans actually there? Was it that, you know, it was all the young people on the computers and, and got the tickets quickly, or was it much more of a mix? And, and I said to my mum, I thought it was more more of a mix than I thought it might have been. I thought yeah. it would have been a lot more young it was people, but it wasn't. To what it was, I expected. Yeah, it was a lot of our sort of middle aged fans. I didn't actually see too many of our old fans, to be honest with you. I saw a couple of well-known town fans that don't miss too many games but I felt like if you took an average age on Saturday you take away the kids who were with their dads I would have said it was somewhere between 30 and 45 it was that, felt like that sort of age group really interesting to see what the club um, looked at the stats for but yeah it was I don't know didn't feel like a different crowd and um, you know the atmosphere through the game we were talking pre-match weren't we about whether there'd be one I think there was more of an atmosphere maybe than we thought pre-match um, which also made it a bit more of a better experience I think rather than just sitting in a, a cold um, stadium with the sun sort of slowly drifting down and then not being much noise definitely crowd got into it which we can talk about as we go through it yeah it's this interesting point um i'm trying to find the tweet anxiously to try and find it um but there was a guy contacted me saying that his mom um is 81 um and she hasn't missed a home game at the new meadow 
Wow. And she had a ticket. Oh, well, um, So that was great to hear. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I, for me, I thought, actually, the average um, average fan there was actually older than I expected. Okay. Like you said, I expected yep. a load of kids who were online and stuff to get tickets, but it wasn't. There was actually um, quite a lot, of, a lot of guys our age, in our 30s, but there was also a lot of people in the 50s, 60s, and maybe even 70s. Um, so yeah. kind of... Yeah, I thought maybe it had been a bit younger, but it wasn't. But it was great to see those guys that have obviously supported the club for a long time. Get yeah, great. Players. No, it was good. And we, we did mention, you know, I go to a lot of away games, and so do you nowadays, and it was the sort of same faces you see, the three, 400 people that we see at those away games. It was definitely sort of most of those were there, which was which was good to see as well. So, yeah, an interesting com- comparison nonetheless. Um, and, yeah, I, I suppose we were, we, say we were in the fan zone and, and lamenting, uh, commenting on these matters. And team news came on, Ollie. So let's let's just run through the team quick. Yep, so we had Sashik in goal and Fossey started at right back, which was interesting. And then we had Ebanks, Landor, Williams and Goldborn in, in defence. Um, High, Vela, Walker, with Walker sitting in, in midfield with Cummings, Pike and Worley. Um, it's kind of finishing the lineup, and this is actually the team I'd guessed at midday, so I was quite pleased with that. Oh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you, you're a soothsayer. Um, yeah, interesting. It's about the starting lineup, really. Um, Fossey was the big one, wasn't he? And, and yeah, Donald loves uh, sort of seeming to lose his place quite early in the season, and, and we'll talk about Fossey's performance. I suppose that was probably the the most interesting change. Everything else probably was what you kind of expected. You said Ollie because of the the suspension for um, Pierre, and also the the commented issues with Norburn and, and some of our other injured midfielders. Um, including Dave Edwards so it wasn't going to be far off what we, we thought would be um, I think one of the interesting things was looking at it for me at the start of the season when you looked at our bench you know you had Love um, Daniels uh, you know Love's only played last season really as, as consistently for us but Daniels has hardly played um, league football Ado has come from Telford and played one season in league football Burgoyne who obviously had his issues in the first day of the season and then Sears Roland and Lloyd, three youth players, and, and to me that was my worry. Is with the injuries we've got at the moment, it, it already feels a little bit paper thin that bench. Um, there's not a, not a huge amount of quality, maybe other than a Doe, Love, and Daniels there that you're kind of bringing on to change a game. So when you've only got three subs and there's probably only three players you're going to bring on, it's it's not great, is it? No, the the bench was very. Um... Junior, let's put it yes. that way, without being, being being critical or negative, but it was very junior bench, um, quite an inexperienced bench, um, and I think that kind of um, was maybe why actually Fossey came off. I was surprised that Love came on, to be honest, I think that was just basically just because he had a sub to use and wanted to do a bit of rotation. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's something that obviously needs to be addressed. Obviously, we've got quite a few players that are out. Um, we've got Goss, um, Norburn, Edwards missing um, at the moment in midfield. But certainly um, up front, um, we definitely need a little bit more depth. And we obviously brought in this lad from Spurs. Yeah. Uh, we've not really got any sad news, so we might as well cover it here. But um, yeah, we've obviously brought him on loan, but he's hardly played. And, and even Spurs fans didn't really seem to know too much about him. So suspect he's again... Southend were definitely interested in we're close to signing him. And <laughs> um, we might be rude to Southend fans, but they've got a lot to... They don't need me giving them any more misery, but it doesn't oh, say a well. lot about potentially his ability. But he could... Um, be fantastic. I suspect he's going to be a squad player, but that's something to um, to keep an eye on. Big, powerful, and pacey was some of the words I saw about um, about him. I sh- we should really say his name. Really, <laughs> I didn't really mention his name, and I've totally forgotten what it was. I know his first name was Tracy, is it? Oh, well, I can't we'll remember just, doing We'll just this. call him Tracy from now on. That's fine. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll probably have a look at him a bit more when he gets his first debut. But um, yeah, there we go. That, that was the squad. Yes. That was the bench. Silo Tracy. Shiloh Tracy. Shiloh Tracy. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I did ask my wife to try and help with the pronunciation. But yes, yeah, Shiloh Tracy. <laughs> I think that's what we're going for at the moment. 
That's fine. Um, and yeah, as I said, that was the team and out they came. It was a bit weird to start the game, Ollie. You know, it got a thousand fans in there. Everyone was sort of buzzing to see the lads come out and the music played and then it sort of went on to a second song and Northampton had been out a good minute, it felt like, and there were no town players. I don't know what the hell was going on. They were really slow out and it, it kind of seemed to, it looked a little bit like it got the referees back up because as soon as they came out, he was like, get on with this, lads. We've got to start. It's almost three o'clock. Um, and it was sort of confusing for Ryan reading the names out because he was still reading the names out as the game started and we'll get to what happened to Ebanks pretty early on. But when Ebanks, you know, got that knock, Ryan was still reading the names out. It was a bit of a weird start, wasn't it? It wasn't, yeah. wasn't like the timing went very well on that. Yeah, I think it's because I think probably... We should, uh, yeah, Northampton should have gone out a bit earlier, and then we could have followed. But um, yeah, it's one of those things, and I guess it's something we need to to work on. Um, it's awesome. obviously this new new way of doing it. Obviously, they they left their dressing room first. Yeah. Um, so maybe the bells need to be changed. But yeah, that wasn't the worst thing about the start, was it? No, it was pretty instant getting our main sort of senior defender injured, wasn't it? So yeah, kicked off, ball went back to the keeper, which we hoofed forward. Ebanks went in for one of his you know, big strong headers that he likes to get in early doors. Um, but he seemed to get more of the, the striker, didn't he, rather than the well, ball. Well, he won the ball clearly, but yeah. he seemed to come down on the striker's yeah. back of his head. Oh, nasty. Nasty. And uh, yeah, that was it. He went down. Game was stopped for three minutes. And uh, yeah, we, we sort of were unsettled, weren't we? So poor Brad Walker, who's been having a decent start to the season, suddenly has to go and play centre-back because we haven't got any defenders on the bench that could do that. Although there was an argument a lot of people were giving. And, and when we talked to Ricketts, he indicated Sears was more of a centre-back than a right-back to us, didn't he? So I did find it interesting that he didn't just go like for like and put Sears there. Obviously, he's only young and, and maybe he's got to earn that trust again, having having not played for quite a while. But yeah, it was it was interesting to see Walker play there rather than Sears, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was because of Northampton's long ball style yeah, approach. Yeah. Um, Walker's quite strong um, and he's really good in the air. Um, and I think that's why that, that made that change for me. Yeah, yeah. And he did okay. We'll get on to Walker as we go through. I thought he, he did okay in that position. But it did leave us in a tricky situation for five minutes because it wasn't clear. You know, It wasn't like he had a big cut or anything, Ebanks, um, and he was having to get stitches or stuff. It was obviously going through the mandated concussion tests on the side of the pitch, Ollie, um, which obviously he must have failed because they took him off for that reason. Um, but I did hear late on on Saturday night that he hadn't actually got any concussion, which was bloody great news, to be honest with you, because we will need him back as soon as possible. But um, I think in that circumstance, again, safety has always got to be the priority for the players, hasn't it? And um, he, he probably went off, and, and that was fair enough, I guess. Yeah, I think it was the right decision. Um, yeah, you'd rather you'd rather losing for one game than multiple games. If you got you know if you got a bang again during the game or something like that, unfortunate because we really did need him, um, and obviously that meant that he he was our captain as well. So the captain armband had to switch. It did. It went to Vela, which is interesting. You know, not not been here a long time, um, but yeah, obviously is obviously maybe a, a an influential guy in the dressing room and someone that they're expecting to be a leader on the pitch. So that was interesting for me, Ollie, that he he got the armband straight away. Um, I'm not sure he stood out too much doing the job, but we'll have to see as the season goes on. Um, and then we should say it was Daniels that came on, obviously after five minutes. Then once those concussion tests are done for his sort of home debut, got a good round of applause. Yeah, yeah. So he came on, um, and I think it's fair to say that we didn't really start this game very well. We've got some <laughs> excuse um, with Ebanks going off, um, but uh, yeah, it's fair to say that Northampton were camped in our half for the yep. first like ten or so minutes. Yes, um, yeah, it was very very frustrating. Um, yeah, so we Vela gave a bit of a lunge, um, and then we gave away <laughs> another free kick. Um, they started launching the ball into our box and towards Walker. Uh, they were trying to almost seem like they were testing Walker with their long balls and to see how he would um, kind of act. And it took about 10 minutes, really, um, for the town fans to kind of get involved. Um, and we kind of started with a bit of a polite bit of clapping. Rhythmic. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, and it, it was about this time where, unfortunately, we conceded. 
So yes, the goal board fails to control a pass from Daniels after a throw. Northampton take the throw, throw it back um, to their defender. Um, long ball um, forward. Um, header cleared by Williams, but unfortunately, um, Fossey, I'm not sure why, a bit of a, a, an error of judgment. He actually goes behind Williams to almost cover him. But then he's out of position, so then the, their winger gets lots of space. So basically he's kind of out of position, he's behind um, Williams. Then he runs forward to try and tackle. He gets done and kind of he's, he's got an out of position again. The cross comes into the, into the box. Really, really good cross, to be fair. And their right winger, unmarked um, in, on the penalty spot, just passes it into the back of the net. Really nice finish again. And have to say, that was not the best start and not what we wanted. But you have to say from a Northampton perspective, because I'm going to be quite critical of them in this podcast yep. um, because of their style. Um, that was a well-worked goal from them. Um, good pass and good goal. No, it was a good goal. You couldn't couldn't be critical of it. Fossey's got caught in no man's land and it wasn't the only time he did it in that first half, to be honest with you, and, and bits of the second half. His positional awareness will will have to come. You know, he's playing professional football, you know, now at a, a decent level. It's against um, a more senior sort of load of players that he might have done from his under-21s football. You'll hope that that'll come um, and he looks good in sort of attacking positions. Looks more like a wing-back to me, to be honest with you, rather than a, a natural right-back. Um, but yeah, he, he got caught out, unfortunately, and, and then they, they punished us quite clinically, to be honest with you. They, they, they were pretty clinical with that one um I could say that about the second goal as well actually so yeah it was an unfortunate start and it did sort of you know it did feel like just one thing after another with the injury and then the changes after five minutes and then a goal after 12 you know you already started to think right this is this is a huge team that are gonna have to show something today yeah it was it was error riddled first tight 10 minutes and, yep. and Northampton took advantage of that and it's worth just noting actually that Northampton apparently had 10 first team squad players out injured they did um, for this is- game they did, which is why this result's actually pretty good for them, to be honest oh, with you. They're it's a missing result. Yeah, a lot of players. And actually, when you know that and you, you understand how many of their first team players are out, it's a hugely, hugely disappointing result for town, in, in my opinion. So, not ideal, no. <laughs> yeah, and then this is like a weird for the first 10 minutes, 12 minutes when we conceded, um, you definitely say that Northampton were on top. And then there's this like weird period now for like eight minutes or so where Town are kind of warming up a little bit, a bit like an engine warming up. Um, not quite clicking, um, but yeah, we have a few attacks. We have a good attack, counter-attack from Cummings. He cuts inside and he tries to shoot, not once, not twice, not three, <laughs> but four times. And yes, they're League One players, and I've just been watching the Liverpool game, which the first half was full of errors. You know, So even that level, obviously, players make errors. But that was just indecision from Cummings. And this, for me, we've maybe been a bit harsh picking on him in the first attack. This was going to sum up our game. Individual errors um, cost us this game, um, and yeah, um, it wasn't the the best op- best chance from Cummings. And it's so obvious what he's going to do. He's got to do it quickly, and if it isn't, he needs to learn and pass to a player. Taking your metaphor one step forward, I totally agree with that. You know, the engine was revving up, and we did start to get out of our own half. But unfortunately, that engine would splutter into life and then stall halfway down the pitch. And yeah. we get to the edge of the box, and whether it be a poor last pass, a stupid, stupid type of cross that just went over everybody, or one of the three forwards kind of just stuttering to take a shot and then laying it back. That tended to happen pretty much all the time with me. I mean, you know, we we created a lot of sort of moments which we can kind of run through quite quickly, but none of them ever felt like massively brilliant chances to me. And a lot of them were kind of long ranges. You talking about um, the whole first half, or you talking yeah, about this this first twenty five minutes? This first twenty five minutes, and, and as it goes on a little bit, I suppose until we had, I think it was maybe thirty minutes, thirty five minutes, which we we'll get to in a minute. It's a where bit we earlier than tested that. Tested the keeper. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit earlier than that, and it's a bit earlier than I actually thought. And that's oh, why okay. this is exactly why I watched it back. So yeah, I can understand how you have that opinion, Glenn. Um, that's what I thought, and. I 
actually, yeah, watching it back, actually from 20 minutes on um, until the end of the half, we absolutely dominated them. Um, we, they were completely, they're playing in a really low block and they were not pressing us at all. Um, and I'll come on to you what, what the manager, what their manager thought at half time. Um, but <laughs> so about 21st minutes in, um, Daniels to Walker, Walker to Cummings, to Pike in the box, great opportunity. And Arnold comes out and smothers the shot. That was a really, really good chance. And that was the first time that we kind of got into the box. You thought maybe Pike could have been a bit better that one. Yeah, you know me. I'm normally quite uh, negative about non-scoring strikers, and I know, I know he has already got one this season. But again, you know, I'll be honest with you. I would suspect if Cummings gets into that position, he probably scores. And um, Arnold did really well. Can't take anything away from Arnold. He did okay on the couple of chances he saved from Pike during the game. But you know, I wish we just had a natural striker who gets into those good positions and just pops it away. But they're very expensive at this level, and we can never afford them. So and, and they're very me, few I think and we've far got between one. our level. Yeah. yeah, and and we're playing one who I think we've got out on the right a little bit too far and making him play a game that I think is long-term not going to be the best, but I think we need to go 10 games in before I start to have that round. Yeah. <laughs> so a couple of minutes later, really good work by Tan. Get the ball in the box. And this is going to be a theme. We get the ball into the box. And Pike um, goes to shoot from a, a goal at Bourne Cross, but the defender gets in there first. And this is where one, obviously on your XG kind of analysis, it won't count as a shot, but yeah, really, really good cross. Um, and Pike was involved as well, played it out and got a nice bit of play. Um, and the defender did a really, really good um, tackle just before he had a chance. Um, and then, yeah, then, then <laughs> not the best moment. Um, what did Cummings do? Did he just he just tried to kick the ball, didn't he? He just smashed yeah. it straight into Vela at one point. Yeah. Like, one thing I noticed about Cummings during this game, and I put it on Twitter, is he's starting to look like he's got a touch of the Nigel Jempsons about him, in that he moans at everybody, including the referee and linesman. He gave the linesman an absolute bollocking at one point in the game, but he's also pretty demanding off other players. I maybe didn't see that as much last season, but there was three or four times where he was screaming for the ball and it didn't come to him, and he would turn around and he's not afraid to just bollock someone and say, I wanted that ball, give me the ball. I think it was High once and then Daniels once as well. And it just reminded me a little bit of Jempson when he was playing with some of the young lads we had in that relegation season and the season before that. And, um, you know, obviously a striker and obviously probably, you know, Jemson was a natural goal scorer, maybe not so much for us as the years went on. But, um, yeah, they, they've, got a, they've got a similar temperament, I think. Um, hopefully uh, Cummins does actually train properly, um, unlike Nigel Jemson in the latter years. But, yeah, who knows? They, they've definitely got some similarities for me. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was frustrating, uh, very frustrating. Um, talking of frustrating, um, yeah, some reason at this point, their number 22 just sits down for no reason. The physio came on. So it's really oh, funny, actually. God. They kicked the ball away um, before they'd even scored. So five minutes into the game, and we won a throw-in, and the guy kicked the ball away, and it went all the way down to the gate um, from, from basically about 10, about 10 metres in into the pitch. So they were starting to play these kind of antics pretty, pretty quickly, really. Yeah, I mean, they had one. They had a goal. They won it up. They, they were down to the bare bones with 10 of their players missing. Can you really blame them for doing it? I no, mean, no, no. It's really. just a bit no. infuriating. Yeah, infuriating for us to watch. And it was good to start to... That, that sort of piked up the time, town fans, really. They were starting to get really agitated with the antics of some of the Northampton players. Like a bloke around me, he's gone down again, he's gone down again, he kept shouting. And, um, you know, it kept the fans in the game a little bit. And I think during this period where we started to get on top, the town fans started chanting for the first time in the game, yeah. which was brilliant. Um, a few little a few little chants here and there. So that kind of maybe helped spur town on. But as you say, they just couldn't get the ball in the back of the net, even though they were starting to create slightly better chances as the half went on, I suppose. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, and then about yeah, thirty minutes in, some really good build up play, but again, a bit like Cummings when he hit the player, hit the ball into Vela, trying to do Hollywood stuff. Now sometimes <laughs> it works, but sometimes just the simple pass was on. 
Um, and we, yeah, there was just really, really frustrating. Um, but Taran was still dominant. So yeah. we're doing really well. A long ball to high, from high goes too long for goal ball and it goes out for throw. That happened all too often. Um, really, really good run um, from Fossey. And this is where he shows his pace. He's really, and he can get going quite quickly, can't he? Plays it into Cummings. Cummings does a good shot. He has space, he has time, and he has a long-range effort. Not a bad effort. And that's when you want him to shoot, but not necessarily when you're that, you know, from the other example we were talking about 10 minutes earlier. Yeah, I, I just go back to something you just said then, which is interesting, a really good observation, Ollie, is that that big crossfield ball is going to be a factor of our play this season, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's pretty clear from the first three games that the big switch is, is something that's going to be good. And obviously for the, for the goal that we score later on, played a massive role in that. But, you know, you had Brad Walker trying to do Hollywood passes from centre-back, you know, thinking he's still playing in central midfield. And yeah, he hit one that was really, really good. But the other centre-backs didn't hit hardly any. And Williams was pretty poor with his distribution. And, and so were some of the midfielders at times. So, yeah, not not sure that it's... It's, it's I don't not know, necessary it's, it's, all the time. No, That's my not. frustration. And we'll come to lots of examples, especially in the second half, where this but, is our kind of basically our own undoing. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. The whole thing was very frustrating at times, wasn't it? And, and missing these chances. Another thing I would say about Northampton, Ollie, was, yeah, they did, you just mentioned it, they sat really deep. And again, they did make it really difficult for us to break them down with, with how many men they had back. And, you know, they didn't look like they were that bothered about attacking at times. So that did kind of choke us down. And maybe it's one of the reasons why we, we kept having a few stalled attacks here and there. But, yeah, I don't know. how it's sort yeah, of getting towards the end of the half then. Yeah, it's just when, when we actually did the simple thing, especially when, the, when High got the ball... Played yep. it to midfielders, played it to Vela, played it to full backs. When we did that, we were absolutely fantastic trying to play good, you know, through the good balls, through their lines, because their defend their striker was quite deep. When we did passes which were like, I don't know, like ten metres, twenty metres, that was good. It's when we're trying to do these forty metre ones, these fifty, sixty <laughs> metre ones, it doesn't work. Um, and there's a great example of this where basically Pike does a good run to the right. Um someone he chips the ball and someone's chips in the ball in the box. But no one was there anticipating it. And that was frustrating. Again, sometimes, and this is one of these classic ones where, you know, some fans say that's a bad cross. Some people say there should have been a runner. Um, and it was just a little bit frustrating. Again, as you said earlier on, Glenn, it was that final ball that was just letting us down a bit. That's one of my worries. Yeah, the final ball, definitely. One of my worries, when Pike does that hard work, gets out wide and is, is then the one trying to look to create, it, if Wally hasn't come in from off, off the side or of Cummins. the other side, or Cummins on this side, there's never there's no one in there. you know. And it, it opens up another question about the bloody problems we had last season with getting people in the box. You know, To me, Pike's doing good work when he holds the ball up and he comes a little bit deep in the central area, but he turns around and gets right back up front as, as that focal point. Sometimes he was drifting out right and left and getting in the way of Cummins and Pike. And they're going to work on that. And that front three, will probably start to create goals at some point but it is it isn't quite there after three games yeah. yet and um in know, this... when we've got no one in the box it's sometimes it's difficult to score isn't it yeah on this occasion for me it was a bad pass it was Vela and yeah. Cummings yeah. in the box but yeah it's something that we need to work on um Definitely. and then there was another good off opportunity where um Wally's in the box um and he fired the cross across the line again no one was there again same kind of question was it a bad cross was it should have someone been there and then obviously because of the header and, and some of the time wasting, we had quite a bit of extra time. And there's a really, really good cross from Fossey. Daniel has a shot blocked in the box. And then Goldburn shorts and difference, forcing a really good save from Arnold. And maybe just a moment on here, Arnold. What did you think of his performance? Hey, it was solid, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, you never really let us down in the games he played for us, even though he had sort of half a season, didn't he? And, you know, decent decent enough performance from him. Everything we hit out him, he, he got hands to, didn't he, roughly, other than the... The goal, which he could have done much better on, I suppose. That's the one negative thing about his uh, game. But yeah, I thought he was, he was solid enough in general. And we just, let's be honest, we just never tested him enough across this game. Um, you know, you talk about us having a shot on target in extra time, but I think that and maybe only one or two chances. I think there was one long range shot um, that Goldborn had 
Um, and then there was the Cummins, uh, sorry, there was the Pike chance where he came out to smother it. But, you know, bringing a, bringing a keeper into action three times in a half at home, first game of the season to try and you know, show fans what's what, probably, probably wasn't enough of an output for the amount of work we put in for me, Ollie. Yeah, and then that's that's a good summary, Glenn. First half, some nice football, some a few stupid Hollywood balls that didn't work. Um, a few, <laughs> almost as though like our um, our zoning and our range was off. Um, yeah, if you were playing golf, imagine a few of them would have gone into the into the woods. Um, I, yeah, and it was just <laughs> really frustrating that we did some really good stuff, but when we did simple good passing quickly, it really worked. Um, but a few better decisions um, and a few better balls. And um, we could have, um, we should have really have got a goal. And even though we're being critical here, um, we had enough chances, I think, to to make it even at half time. Yeah, it's funny. I came out at half time, went down to the fans, and didn't we again just for a quick catch up with, with some of the lads? And I sort of jokingly came out and said, "It's funny, Ricketts has changed our tactics around, but he's still found a different tactic that enables us to kind of miss chances and not score goals." So hopefully that isn't a long term problem. We can't really judge it after three games. Um, but I think that the more I've watched these last two league games and seen how competitive they are, close, physical, compared to that Middlesbrough game, I think you can write that Middlesbrough game off as any kind of indication of anything. The, the last two games have been a much clearer indication of to how hard it's going to still be to score and how hard we're going to have to play at the back to keep clean sheets so yeah interesting I mean we're only a game well, and a half in at that point but we'll come on to we'll come on to clean sheets and conceding when we get to 65 <laughs> minutes oh, um, but it's interesting um, there was some interesting um, news and noise came out from Northampton's press yeah. um, about how unhappy their manager was at half time yeah, he gave him a bollocking, didn't he? Apparently, that was what was said. He, he said he was really disappointed with their first half performance. Gave him a rocket. Um, said some home truths. I think was one of the phrases I read in one of the Northampton presses. And to be fair, Northampton came out and was slightly more into the game. And obviously, as the half went on, I think probably ended up being the, the sort of better team as the game went on a little bit for me. Um, but definitely improved um, from that abject sort of end to the half that they had. They worked a little bit harder, but they were still definitely. pretty poor, in my opinion. Um, well, they, until we scored, they were still just playing out the, the block, weren't they? At yeah. the end of the day, which is what they needed to do. Um, after we scored, they probably had more of the game. Yeah, than they, they had, had a couple of chances point, really. after then. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I thought yeah. we started well. Um, and again, this is frustrating. Um, we had um, Northampton had a corner. We counterattacked. Cummings dwells on the ball. Really good tackle from Watson, who put in. There's the blonde haired lad in midfield, who put in another good tackle and a good, really, really strong performance um, for for them. Um, again, 50 minutes, five minutes later, um, a Vela ball over the top, um, coming to make a run, but offside. And for me, that one looked quite marginal. You were <laughs> yeah, closer to that than me. <laughs> That's where we meant at the linesman. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, it looked pretty close that one. But um, I think if you ask Jason Cummins, he's never offside. So make of that what you will. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Um, and then we had um, a ball over the top. Um, and basically running behind um, and a good left-footed shot from Worley. You know, we often give him some criticism for left-footed shots, but that was a really good effort. And again, town now we're playing a bit more direct and particularly balls over the top and running from behind. Yeah, definitely. Um, which was, again, kind of creating opportunities. We were getting to the box, um, but we just couldn't get the ball in the back of the net. It's funny, there definitely was space second half for us to exploit. And we didn't talk about this at the start, but obviously Ricketts has brought the pitch in by, I believe, two to three metres yeah. from its width last season, which is obviously another indication to me that we're not going to be playing wingers at any point this season, Ollie. So that, well, we are playing probably... wingers. Well, we just made the, pitch the same as, made the pitch the same as everyone else. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. There's two know, ways but... of looking at that. <laughs> I, I was joking. Um but yeah, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. There's still enough space out there. It isn't really thin, is it? There's still um, places that Cummins and, and Wally can go to balls over the top and, and let Pike get up with them. But um, yeah, it was more direct, wasn't it, Ollie? And, and we were talking about this, weren't we, in terms of that 
in some respects, took the midfielders out of the game. Like, Daniels was solid and robust enough when he came on. You could say the same about High. He played really well. But there were times in the second half where they didn't get on it anywhere near as much as they did during that end to the first half and, and didn't quite have the influence at some points during during the second half for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's true to extend it. I think we probably weren't as good as we were in that first half, but I still think we were, were dominating this period. Um, and for me, this is another example of just how we were just making poor decisions. So Williams runs forward and he gets way into their half. And then just goes that little bit too further, that two, three steps further than he really needed to, where he could have just passed a simple ball. Um, and this is where Walker has to do that um, that cover run that he did, where he did a good sweeping, sweeping yeah. back against their counter-attack and knocks the ball out for a throw-in. Really, really good defending from Walker. Nope, Walker did as much as he could have done in in an unfamiliar position. He came out and covered where he needed to, um, and and Jim really looked robust enough. You wouldn't want to play him there every week, but he can certainly do a job um, as a backup. So yeah, he did really well there. But yeah, they Northampton looked slightly more dangerous on the second half on the break for me. That was one of the good examples, I suppose, where the, the guy that played up front for them, um, it was a big tall tall lad. He I thought he had a reasonably good game to be fair. He kind of held the ball up quite well, and when they attacked on the break, he seemed to have a bit of pace and a bit of trickery and and skills. They didn't do it all that often, but every time they went I did worry a little bit that they might you know be able to go on if they got a few men up luckily for most of the game they didn't bother to put the men up but I thought he had a reasonable game that guy yeah yeah that's a few good players and I thought Mills stood out for them as well he had a really yeah. good game yeah he did he did so so yeah then 53 minutes Ollie we had the man Jason Cummins showing the bit of skill that he, he can bring to a game where he gets the ball just inside the uh, inside the opposition half out on the right hand side he takes one little look and he sees Wally making a fantastic run on the other side Brilliant long raking pass on the angle across to Wally, um, who gets a touch, runs into the box, um, does his usual thing of turning it onto his left foot, meant sort of give the defender the shoulder, and yeah, shoots a cross goal um, to the right hand side. Kind of under Arnold. I think this was probably a thing he would wish he'd saved, and he should, probably should have saved it, to be honest with you. It no, I don't know. I think you've been a bit harsh on Glenn. Yeah. Uh, I think you look a really, how close really good he is. Finish. He gets a hand on it, at least. And if you get something on it, I think you should, you know, you probably think you should save it as a goalkeeper. But a really, really good finish. I totally agree with you. You know, that's what Wally can bring you in that situation. And that's what Ricketts will be hoping that front three unlocks a little bit more. But um, yeah, it requires good finishing from Wally and Cummings. And in this circumstance, we had it. And we were suddenly back in the game and, and the atmosphere totally changed. And it really felt like we were sort of in the ascendancy and we're going to win it, didn't it? Yeah, no, it did. It was a really, really good goal. And, and um, even um, their directors um, said to Brian that um, at this point, they thought we were going to win the game. Mm. Yeah, well, we should have. Yeah. Let's be honest. We really pushed them for a little bit until until a few minutes later. And <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, there we go. We had a counter-attack <laughs> from Shrews, long ball from Worley, and Cummings was free. Um, but it's a bit harsh on Daniels, because basically, so Daniels gets the ball. He's on our kind of edge of our penalty area, defending, and he just has no time. He has to clear it. And he goes yeah. to the Worley option. Well, he just kind of clears it, to be fair. And um, and Worley and Cummings was free, and Cummings went a bit mad. And I understand why he's frustrated. He wants to score and he wants to win. But I thought that was a bit, a bit harsh on Daniels, really. Mini Gemmo strikes again. There we yeah. go. Um, yeah, he was absolutely furious though. Um, and that was fifty-eight, wasn't it? So we're, we're talking five minutes after yeah. we scored. You know, but we constantly had the ball in this period, didn't we? Yeah. We definitely were. We had our you know foot on their neck, sort of thing. We were ready to sort of just find that next goal and put this game to bed. Um, you know, Wally was was sort of running all the time there. I think a minute later he got brought down and yeah. there was a yellow card for the Northampton player. Um, and again, another good ball into the box, um, but Fossey sort of couldn't put it back across box. So there was little, little chances. There was nothing yeah. really clear cut before. Obviously, they no. went down the other end and got the winner. But you know, it was it was good. We we couldn't quite find that final pass, which was frustrating. But all of that kind of good work, Ollie, on sixty five minutes was undone yeah. in a horrible way. But just really, before be we get to this, so obviously, <laughs> I've, as you said, I watched this game back, and at this point, you're going, "How on earth have we not scored a couple of goals?" 
And it's so frustrating because, yeah, it was either making errors earlier on in the pitch, like really bad errors, or just getting being in the box and not making that final chance. And yeah. I'm sure when Sam Ricketts, he's probably watched this back already, he'll be thinking, how on earth could we not win? And, and he's interesting. I got, um, so I did something for um, a um, Northampton podcast on Friday. And um, I had a message this afternoon from Tom Reed, who who does that podcast. And he said to me, how on earth did you not win that game? <laughs> um, so it's nice to see a bit of honesty from the Northampton fan. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, they were ruthless with their chances, which which was brings us to this moment. Well, this is how we didn't win that game, Ollie. Uh, yeah. So basically, I mean, uh, before we get to what happened with Sarkic and, and the mistake, um, I, I watched this goal back a couple of times today. And I have to say, I think it's Goldbourne and Williams on halfway up against that striker. I said I had a good game. I think it was him anyway. But they both got done a little bit too easy to start that counter-attack off. Um, and he got beyond Goldbourne and Williams. And then they were chasing back, really, which is why you were only left with Fossey in the middle. I think there was the other defender. Um, Walker was kind of halfway man between the two, sort of the attacker and, and Fossey in the box. And, you know, it just it just needed uh, a little moment of indecision or something to go wrong, and, and they were going to have a chance. So yeah, I wasn't wasn't overly pleased with defending on halfway line. I liked them to have been tighter and, and force that a little bit more. But once they got through, they were running in down the right, and um, yeah, the cross comes in. Fossey sort of looks like he's going to leave it for the keeper who's come charging out, out of the box, really, hasn't he? Um, and Fossey sort of leaves it. Sarkic goes to kick it clear and just totally air kicks it. And the guy no. sort of spare on the on the left uh, hand side of the pitch picks it up. And let's be fair to the guy that scored. That's a good goal from right yeah, there. Yeah, it's good a really, accuracy. really good finish. Yeah. It's yeah. You know, an open goal. I don't know. You always, I don't know. I remember shooting, playing, like, even just playing five a size. And you've got an open goal. You feel like you're under a load of pressure. Really, really calm, tidy finish. Um, he's got to be finished, pleased, with, pleased with how he struck the ball. It went into the, basically right into the middle of the net, an empty net. Um and yeah, absolutely kicking the teeth. Which was the worst mistake, this or Burgoyne's first, where he sort of just let it go under him in the first this game was, at Middlesbrough? This was worse. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, it's not great, is it? For both of our keepers to have dropped an absolute massive clanger mm, in I three don't know. games. Was it? <laughs> was it worse? They're both different, aren't they? They're both terrible, that's for sure. So it's probably hard to pick, isn't it? But yeah, it is a horrible mistake, and. I don't know. It, did he need to come? I mean, Fossey and Walker were still goal side of, of the attacker. You know, there's yeah. still two defenders. I don't think to beat. He, if he'd come, if he hadn't come out, Fossey could have just toe poked it to him yeah. and kicked I, it out. But in some ways, you're kind of then at the same time. If he, you know, if, if he's if he's a he's a he's a front wood, front foot goalkeeper, um, and he's if he clears that he way, you would have said that was a good clearance. Yeah, but he didn't. So no, he didn't. was absolutely shit. So <laughs> there we go. Unfortunate from the lad who obviously had a really good debut last week and, and did good things in this game, which we'll talk about in a minute, but also showed some other sides of the game, which shows probably why he's on loan at League One. I was going to mention later on where they hit the post, but a couple of times under the high ball, he looked a little bit more suspect than I thought he might have done watching that first game last week. So that's something I'm looking to keep my eye on because um, it just seemed like he got lost at least a couple of times, once from a corner and once from that chance when they hit the post, I think it's sort of 71, 78 minutes, something like that. But yeah, just terrible, wasn't it? And, yeah. uh, and it was interesting because the crowd, there was a good sort of crowd noise and a murmur and supportiveness. But I did notice when that goal went in, Christ almighty, it was like a lead balloon. It went like completely silent yeah. for about five minutes. And it, it almost was like, you know, we should have won this game and we've somehow messed it up. And it was already a realisation on 65, 70 minutes that, oh, I can't believe this has happened. And it took until we got a little bit more attacking going to, to kind of get the crowd back going again, which which will happen with only a thousand people yeah. there. Yeah, it was like a balloon was burst, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, God, it was, kind yeah. of really deflated. Um, and then, unfortunately, Pike got injured a few minutes later. Um, and I have to say, there's a bit of discussion about Pike. And I know you and Mark were talking about this on um, on Twitter. And Pike was getting some criticism. So I was watching this. He didn't get any balls. 
second half, half, he didn't get no. anything. So, you know, people saying about this number 10, well, he kind of plays quite deep as a target man and kind of comes into that number 10 space. And he set up some really good attacks in the first half. Second half, like, it was really weird. We were, like, playing, like, Hollywood balls over the top but not going anywhere. And then sometimes we weren't doing simple passes. Um, but nothing was going to Pike. And, you know, people saying that we took him off. We didn't take him off because he was playing yeah, badly. He got injured. He got injured. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit frustrating for him because what we were doing well, I don't know. And I tried to look for this. Was there any any tactical changes? Maybe they were a bit quicker and to closing us down. But yeah, I felt a bit sorry for Pike, and hopefully it's not a, a serious injury. We started playing more direct, you said, and that didn't really help him. You know, it was he was chasing. I, think that was, I don't know if that again. was an. I'd love to know if that was an instruction mm. or if that was just the players being a little bit agitated. And, yeah, and rushing. I don't know. One thing I would say about Pike, you know, he's been, he's been, you know, had one good game. He's been, for me, you know, I will disagree with you. I thought he was nothing more than sort of an averagely good footballer on Saturday. But, yeah, but you I can't thought... criticise him. He hasn't got the ball. Well, I can. I, I, he did in the first half. Even then, I, I'm not as impressed as him as you are. Let's leave it at that for now. But I did. I also want to talk about Ado because when Ado came on, he did that same role, and it didn't look any different. And to me, if if Ado's competing to get Pike's place, I kind of hope Ado does get a chance at some point because to me. I know Ado is a natural finisher. I saw it last season. He's got a goal in him. And if you're going to end up having Pike be the one in the box or Ado be the one in the box, I'd rather it was Ado at the moment. So I'm going to go team Ado at the moment. I'd like to see him get a chance maybe in this Carlin Cup game thing or sorry, the, the trophy game coming up in that position to see if he could do it and, and maybe convince Ricketts that he's worth a go. But I'm not writing Pike off in any respect, Ollie. Um, I just think that, you know, we haven't won a game this season and, and you know, we're, we're not brilliant at the moment. And I don't think any players deserve massive amounts of credit at the moment no. in terms of where we are. Um, so, you know, no one stands out to me as having had a brilliant time other than maybe Goldborn and Walker, Walker yeah, um, Pike's, Pike's down there with, with Wally and, and Cummins they've all kind of had a reasonably average start to the season but none of them have really shone all that much that means that if someone came in to take their place I wouldn't be disappointed Yeah, I've got to understand what you're saying I think I'd, I'd yeah, be a little bit more favourable to Pike but as you're saying, sometimes, yep. you know, the narrative of football is you can do something fantastic but if you don't score, it doesn't really matter as much <laughs> it's not as, it doesn't really yep. cement itself in the memory box but yeah, I'm sure we'll come back to this discussion as the season goes on yeah, and all that front three have got a goal so far, so we can't be too critical. Yeah. You know, they've all scored at least one now this season. It's just, uh, I don't know, it, there's, there's other strikers there that are going to push, and, yeah. and if they want to push and they get a chance, then it's it's up for someone to start getting scoring consistent and, and playing well, and yeah. we'll, we'll hope, I hope that happens. I mean, yeah, we're up to 70 minutes now, Ollie, aren't we? Um, yeah, yeah there, was, there was a good chance where we, we had a break. Um, I can't remember who it was now. Ollie's uh, running on, on the break, Wally. has a yes. shot, really good block for the defender. Couldn't tell which one it was, but that was a fantastic bit of defending for Northampton. Yeah, that was on the highlights. He was running in and he, he looked like he was hitting it across the keeper straight in. Yeah. It was a really good tackle. Um, and we were trying to break their lines, weren't we, with the passing and, and we you know tried to tried to get it going. But as we said, we've, we've bypassed Central Midfield. We've talked about that so much now. Um, and then, yeah, there was this sort of <laughs> rare Northampton chance then as the half went on. And um, you know, on 71 minutes, there was a corner. And as I said, poor header um, back into the box by a Salat player. Fell straight to one of their players who, who hammered it, to be fair. And Sarkic made an absolutely brilliant save at reasonably close range, didn't he? But... Um, yeah, massive credit to Sarkic for that because we could easily have lost that game three yeah. one. Um, doesn't take away the mistake because that still cost us the game. But it was, it was a bit of an easy chance to cough up, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was easy. Um, yeah, um, townheads were dropping now. Um, yeah, they went out of keep, it. keep working. Obviously, they had had something to fight for and something to keep them motivated. And then seventy four minutes in, you know, we don't normally talk about passes on this game on this pod yeah. all the time. But for me, this is a great example of what we were doing wrong in the second half. So we're counter attacking. And Vela's got the ball in kind of like halfway of our half. He's running forward and he sees he's got two options. He's got Cummings, who's marked, and he's got Fossey, who's free. 
Yeah. So rather than just passing a simple ball, maybe like 10 metres to the right, he goes for the, the, the Hollywood pass to Cummings. <laughs> Cummings doesn't keep the ball and they counter-attack. And that for me was the first, biggest frustration watching this game back is that we didn't do the simple passes. You know, Fossey could have got the ball. He could have run a few metres back. He could either pass to Velo or he could have passed to Cummings. And for me, it's those kind of mistakes and those kind of poor decisions that we're making is was cost us in this game. I say we've lost this game um, and we've given we've gifted them the first goal. We gifted them the second goal. Now they took them well and they were very clinical, so fair play to Northampton. But we lost this game um, and we gifted them. And and talk of goals, Gwyn. Yeah. You think about it, the goals we conceded against Borough and the goals we conceded in this game. Have you ever seen goals like that conceded in basically, you know, in three games, have these kind of goals conceded? I've seen Town do it loads of times under Jake King, um, but not for, <laughs> not consistently in three games. It's, it's not been the most secure start of the season, has it, in terms of individual errors? And you're completely right. You know, these are little individual moments and little mistakes, little wrong dis- decisions that have been made. But Ricketts was lamenting that last season, Ollie, a lot. And, you know, we don't really seem to have fixed that problem. And it's new players, but it's sort of same old issues, really, about um, having the confidence to, to play that right pass at the right time or shoot in the right position rather than rushing the shot or, you know, those sorts of various things. Obviously, you could talk about the massive ricks that come, but, you know, we're not we're not good enough to survive a mistake at the moment, are we? It's a no. very similar situation to some of the other seasons we had in League One where if we make a mistake, we're not going to get much out of a game. It's a very tight division. So, yeah, we, we, we did start some seasons like that, Ollie. Do you remember when we kept giving penalties when um, Luke Waterfall, for example? <laughs> we made tons of mistakes at the start of the Haskey season, didn't we? Yeah, we um, had to sack the manager. Exactly. And we're not saying that yet, no, no, but, no. you know, we seem to be back in that little period now. Um, and to be fair, the only League One season we've started worse than this season is is the ASCII season, where we had no points after two games. At least we got one now, so there's a positive. <laughs> yeah, there's, and it's it's and for me it's interesting. I, was, I didn't wouldn't really put, we didn't say this on the podcast before, and I wouldn't want to say it too loudly, but kind of for me this felt like a bit of a must win game. And I don't mean in yeah, terms yeah. of sacking the manager or something. For me, it's just in terms of whenever you play a new tactic and there's a new kind of style play or something. I feel like if you look at Arteta and Arsenal. Let's take a Premier League example. Arteta come in with his new style, his his new standards, and they started winning games. And if you're a player um, and you're following your leader's instructions and it's working, then you're going to really buy into those tactics and, and, and things are just going to happen. And I feel like we just need that little bit of luck, that little bit of kind of to get something going. And then maybe we'll, we'll kind of go into something. But for me, the longer we don't get that win, the more questions of people, the fans will start talking about three at the back again. Maybe we should go back to that and... All these kind of questions we raised. Yep. It's interesting. I mean, we might as well not talk about the rest of this game in no, detail because it was, no it was a few half chances stuff. But, you know, you're right, Ollie. It's it's how much can you go with a new tactic without you get, getting a win of some kind. And, I, you know, it'd be even getting a win on the weekend against, what is it, Newcastle's under under five's team or whatever. Or whatever yeah. If they got a win playing this tactic with reasonably the same players that we've been playing the last few games, fine. It's off the monkeys off the back, isn't it? But, you know, we've got difficult games coming up in the next few weeks. You know, it's not going to be an easy place to get a win anywhere. So, yeah, gonna gonna be interesting. Um, but you know, uh, how much patience will Ricketts have with this tactic when he knows he could go back to playing his five at the back and be more solid and not lose as many games? Um, I don't know. It, will he will he change his mind early into the season if this isn't working? It's only three games. It's way too early to tell. But some some interesting observations. Just just before we wrap the game up as well, one of the things that was most disappointing to me about Saturday, and I heard a couple of people talk about it, was you know when they scored their goal on on sixty five minutes. There's tons of time left in the game, but Jesus Christ, their edge dropped a lot. 
in that game. And, and we really drifted out of the game. And, and, you know, they just didn't stay at a level they needed to stay at for the end of that end of that game from 65 minutes onwards. And to me, a little bit that was mental, Ollie. Um, maybe it's just because it's early season. It's it's only a thousand fans in. It's hard to consistently stay up for it. But I, I would have expected personally a little bit more. Um, and I didn't like the way they drifted out of the game personally. And I don't want don't want to see that happen too many times. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, again, if you think about the midfield, you've got Daniels, you've got a higher two kids. You know, I'm just quite disappointed with Bella, really, to be honest. No leadership. Yeah, yeah you no should, leadership. You expect more from. Him. Yes, he's come back from injury and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it, for me, it's just finable, finable, finable. Was just really poor. Um, some yeah. poor decisions um, was tough to take. Yeah, and it took a long time for them to get a yellow card for kicking the ball away. Um, <laughs> yeah. One advantage I will say, Glenn, of having an empty stadium is that you can give feedback to the ref. And I did shout once. And you know sometimes when you shout at a football game and you really hope, not really hope, you're hoping that you're gonna have your voice is gonna cross really deep. Luckily for me it did, it wasn't squeaky. Um but yeah, it was really deep and the referee could definitely hear it because it, it kind of echoed around the stand a bit. So you can definitely give feedback. That's that's one advantage of only having a thousand fans. It was. a shame they didn't listen to you, Ollie, but there we go. Um, uh, so that was it. Yeah, we, we unfortunately lost and everybody took their time to filter out the stadium following the old COVID rules. And um, and that was that, unfortunately. I mean, yeah, we, we've, we've normally talked about Northampton, but I think we've actually talked a lot about them during during this review. Um, yeah, there's only say, one thing really I just want to say about them. Is yeah. If you go back to the Wiccan game last season, um, I'm, I think I'm quite consistent on not liking direct teams. Um, <laughs> they only did 130 passes, short passes. And they did 70 long balls. They only did 200 passes in a game, which is nothing, really. Um, and they are super direct. Now, they had 10 men missing. They won the game. Um, they were really super clinical. They are really good defensively. Some really good blocks. Some really good goal- goalkeeping. So, you know, lots of praise for them. They did really well. But I really do not like teams that kind of play this style. And, yeah, it kind of frustrates me when this kind of style gets rewarded. Mm. And for town, looking at the statistics, I know you had a little bit of a look at the stats that were produced for the game. We obviously had 19 shots, which is above the average for games yeah. last season, Ollie. But we had very few on target, which is, which, on is target, con- which is not continuing to be the problem. And, and it's our conversion rate of shots to shots on target, and then our conversion rate of shots on target to goals, which regardless of whether we play five at the back or four at the back, it continues to be a problem under Sam Ricketts and we continue to be a low-scoring team and it needs to be something that changes. Otherwise, you know, if that if that was going to happen across the season, you can't really look at anything higher than 15th, 16th again, which is yeah. unfortunate. So, Well, we've got yeah, 0.5 start... goals per game so far in the league. Um, <laughs> so hopefully we can get over God. one. But um, yeah, I'm sure Sam Ricketts will be frustrated and players hopefully can improve. And yeah, the summary actually from... Um, I do like who scored. It's quite... They give you some good stats. And I thought that... Their, their, the summary of the game was for me was, and this is their quote, committed a high number of individual errors. <laughs> Maybe we should get that tattooed or get that on a board in the in the changing rooms to, to remind people, please don't make individual errors. But it is what it is. Once you send the players out over that line, there's nothing you can really do about those situations, is there? So we should talk about the positives in terms of the players, Ollie. Um, my top three, I went for Walker, mainly because, yeah, he did it a couple of weird Hollywood passes, but the man was playing out of position in a, in a, in a position that he would not have been expecting to play at 2.45 that day um, and did reasonably well at the back. I know we conceded two, but he wasn't really at fault for either of those goals, I don't think. So, um, yeah, I went for Walker number one. Wally second. He, he was really good running at people. Um, you know me, I've obviously been critical of Wally over the years quite a lot. Um, but, yeah, I thought he at least kept us going maybe the most out of the front three, Wasteful at times, and his free kicks were 
diabolical. But you know, he was a, a player that probably of all of them got the the fans going the most. And yeah, so I thought he was quite good. And um, and I gave high third place again, particularly the first half where he was dictating it a little bit more. Um, drifted out of it as the game went on. But yeah, certainly again more signs that was going to see a, a good player in Scott High. Yeah, if you had to kind of dump players into kind of like you had a good game, we had a bit of a poor game. You'd have most of the players in the in a poor game. Um, yeah, having any yeah for me Walker kind of stood out because what he had to do won a lot of headers. He did some really good sweeping up at the back. Um, I put high in because I kind of had to pick someone second more than anything else. Um, he did some good passes and some good stuff. He did well sitting in that deeper role. And then Goldborn didn't really do anything wrong, so that's why I went for him third. Um, did some good overlaps and good attacking play. Didn't really do anything too wrong in terms of defensively. Um, but yeah, a game with too many five or six performances, um, yeah. which which um, ultimately cost us the game. Yes, it did, unfortunately. And we do normally do Sam Ricketts' comments, but we've got so much to talk about, Ollie. Um, yeah, there's nothing episode. really too much to say apart from he was hugely <laughs> frustrated at losing the game. Um, exactly. And in unbelievable opportunities and situations which we really should have done better and score more. So I think that's enough. Yeah, I think that's enough. And as I say, you know, these get these podcasts, it's always the same at the start of the season when we start to see how we're playing and we've got so much to sort of break down and talk about. We always do long pods at the start of the season, but I don't think it's a problem. There is a lot to talk about. Um, but I guess the, the place to leave Saturday really is if you take away this sort of disappointment of the result was the huge positivity uh, of, of what actually happened in terms of getting fans in. We briefly talked about the start, but what, what are your overall thoughts on the day, Ollie? Um, how it worked and, and, and sort of how, how Shoevertown fans reacted? Yeah, I thought it was exceptional. Um, I think it's just as a, it's a testament um, to the hard work um, and tenacity of, of, the, of the club and, um, and Mike and, 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 you know, and Brian and Lawrence um, working on um, the... The, this whole situation, um, you know, the supporters, liaison officers, basically work full time for the club at the time. Um, both of them do a really fantastic job. Um, and yeah, for me, off the pitch, it was great. You know, it worked clear. Everything was really clear. I thought the video was really helpful. Um, and yeah, it was really good. I enjoyed it, and it was really nice being back um, at the meadow. Um, and yeah, really enjoyed watching live football again. What did you think? I did. I echo everything you said there, Ollie. It was fantastic and, and it worked as well as it could have done. I've seen some press trying to say, oh, look, there's people sitting in a stand here with, with silly, you know, angled photos to make it look closer than it was. But you look at the photos of the stand, um, you know, from the pitch side, the social distancing is fine and most people are wearing masks, even though they weren't mandated. And I think that town fans were exceptionally sensible and once again proved themselves to be some of the best town, uh, some of the best fans in the country for me. And they did that for the benefit of wider football. You know, our pilots are part of the reason to get fans back at Accrington or, you know, you know other clubs as well so I think everyone deserves a pat on the back for that and we do want to bring a little bit more on that because you know we can talk about how hard the work was but I think it'd be really good to bring an interview to the fans later this week um, hopefully with Lawrence Ellaby who's the safety officer and um, Mike Davis one of the supporters liaison officers about the work that went in that week you know we've talked about how hard it was to get tickets and stuff but it, I think it'll be a good story really to talk about what had gone into that week and, and talk a few things in general really about Covid going forward and what the club are hoping for so we might be able to bring that as a midweek podcast on. Yeah that'd be good to just to kind of yeah give them some um, limelight of all the words and I don't think yeah. it's fan and this is not criticizing the fans at all because you just don't know you know the hard work that goes into you know doing this and I think what set us apart from some other bigger clubs um, is that the fact that all the experience we had and the relationships we have with the local authorities from safe standing and I think I think it was safe standing and the work that they've done and the knowledge and expertise they have 
Um, yeah, and if I was a, another um, football league club, I'd be reaching out to Brian and to Shrewsbury um, to understand what we did um, because um, I've heard um, that the feedback we've had from the EFL and the local authorities is absolutely glowing and absolutely exceptional. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're you know I think Shrewsbury Town fans, uh, Shrewsbury Town as a club and a fan base are really helping the rest of the football league get fans back as soon as possible. If I was another football league club, I'd reach out to Brian to offer him a contract. <laughs> I know. <Don't laughs> Let's be honest that, about it. The stuff he's done at this club since he got here, which you know wouldn't normally happen, I suppose, from safe standing through to this to a myriad of other things that have gone well. Not Ticketmaster Brian. Don't mention that in your interview at another <laughs> job. But um, you know, the man is a very talented football administrator, and um, he's probably going to go on and do more than just shoot town, I think, one day. But for the moment, he's settled. He seems to be settled here, and, and Noreen seems to be settled. Uh, his wife on on Twitter. So um, <laughs> yeah, hopefully they're not going anywhere anytime soon. But we'll We'll leave that game there, Ollie. Yep. It's a good place to leave it. We've got an interview now with Lewis Cox that we'll, we'll come to and have a quick chat about that and then we'll do some predictions. Collins checks, opening up for Collins here. Collins goes for goal! What a goal that is for James Collins! Really as good as the one we've just seen at the other end! So we were going to do sign-up news uh, in this section like we normally do, but there isn't really any news at the moment. But one of the things we thought would be interesting, um, as a, again, we're trying to do a little bit, a few more interviews with different people this season um, because we can't really get guests in my house as easy as we used to do because of all these new rules. And also, it's interesting to sort of shine a light on things that we wouldn't really know about as fans sometimes. So I was talking to Lewis Cox, obviously the Shropshire Star presenter. Um, sorry, the Shropshire Star reporter uh, for Shrewsbury Town. Um, who's been on the podcast before? Um, talk to him really about that experience of the first two games, which we couldn't go to Ollie, and I know lots of Shrewsbury fans would have wanted to go to Middlesbrough and Portsmouth, and that experience of being at a game where there were no fans there, uh, and it being a specifically a Shrewsbury Town game. So I, I originally contacted him about, that, but we ended up having a bit of a discussion about lots of things about how the, how the COVID crisis affected the sort of the Shropshire Star and newspapers in general, um, and then we finished off by talking about what he's been doing for his lunch at matches because they're not allowed to serve him his nice food. But yeah, it's obviously a job that's been hugely affected by everything we've gone through in the last few months Ollie yeah no it should be good to listen to and hopefully fans enjoy enjoy hearing Lewis's experience yeah and you have to deal with his, his you know West Midlands accent but you know there we go it's Lewis for you but yeah it was really good for Lewis to join us I, I, just before we play it in I'll say thanks to him for joining us and um, yeah we'll come back and just have a quick chat so welcome back to Lewis Cox for joining us on the podcast. Um, Lewis, we've not had you on for a while. Uh, we missed you at the end of season review, but uh, yeah, scheduling means we couldn't quite eat meat up, could we? But yeah, good to have you back on in what is quite a difficult period. And we kind of wanted to get you on initially just to talk about the experience of being the only person really, um, other than a couple of other press guys, that went, was at the Shrewsbury Town Games behind closed doors. And um, yeah, something that I think a, a few of our fans find quite interesting, really, bear in mind we might not be in that situation any longer. So yeah, we'll, we'll have a chat about that in a minute. But First of all, I suppose just to catch up with you, really, since March. I mean, you know, what the heck has your job been like covering Shrewsbury Town without actually any Shrewsbury Town to cover? Yeah, cheers, Glenn. Hi, I hope you're well, and uh, and the listeners. Um, yeah, it's just been a terrible period. You know, goes without saying, it's been absolutely terrible for for, for everyone, really. Um, certainly from a professional point of view, for me, you know, and most sports reporters across the country, certainly regional ones, it was a nightmare. You know. <laughs> The, the, the newspapers never stopped, you know, obviously from a news point of view, there was sort of so much news, it, you know, it was all terrible COVID news. But from our point of view, I mean, thinking late March, April, May, it, it was just so bleak, it, just in terms, it was so empty, you know, there was nothing happening in, to, to fill it. We had, I suppose we had the, the talk of obviously the season being cancelled and then eventually it was, it was voted to a close, wasn't it? But yeah. The, the intervening weeks and months just seemed to go on and on. And it, it was tough from, from my job role point of view because 
as I say, the, the newspapers didn't stop. So the column inches didn't shorten. You know, there was still a need for us to, to fill. Mm. Um, and that was really difficult because obviously there was nothing going on to fill it with. Um, there was still the need for Shrewsbury Town content. At least, you know, one a day, which was which was so tough. You know, I, I tapped into the contacts book and spoke with a lot of old boys just to, <laughs> to, to try and get, you know, just to try and fill the space, which we had to do. We had to become really imaginative, you know, obviously, you know, and, and we don't just cover football. We don't just cover Shrewsbury Town, but all sports were in the same position, weren't they? You know, yeah. all, you know there aren't that many professional clubs across across all sports in the county. So then you're looking at the, you know, some of our top amateur guys who you're speaking with and, but all sports stopped didn't they, or, you know, all sports stopped. So most guys were in limbo regardless of what sport that they're, they're involved in. And it was just so difficult Glenn, to be honest, to, to, to get the newspaper away, how, how we did it, obviously working remotely at home as well. Um, I have no idea, but you know, the amazing small team we have somehow managed it. So it sounds like hard work uh, from everything yeah, you've just said was. there. That's yeah. for sure. Um, but we can uh, we can be glad football's back at least, can't we? And and the, one of the things we oh, wanted yeah. to get you back on to talk about, really, Lewis, was um, uh, you know we've had we've obviously we're recording this on the Friday afternoon before the first town game with some fans out, and obviously we found out at the start of the week there was going to be this pilot. But you've been to two Shrewsbury Town football games that no fans have been to, and that's quite interesting to me because we very rarely get behind closed doors at our football club. And yeah, so you had Middlesbrough and you had uh, Portsmouth away. And I thought it was just interesting to get your view on what what was really the experience of being at those games like. Obviously, you're there as part of the press, but you're a fan of football. And, and I don't know, what yeah. are your first observations, really, I suppose, in getting to the games and getting in? How, how different was that, I suppose? Yeah, so, I mean, parking the actual football match and the football itself for a bit, just the whole match day experience. I mm. mean, the Riverside was a new ground for me. I just started covering town before they went up there for that um that what competition was it now mind check trade yeah yeah that three nil game yeah uh where there were barely any fans anyway yeah i i missed that for one reason or another i can't quite remember so it's my first time to riverside so always a bit sort of anxious going to new grounds you never know what the situation is but obviously for once there was ample parking because (laughs) there was no, no other bugger there so that was nice um yeah a lot more despite the fact that you know no one's there per se other than a load of press um there were more checks really a lot more security measures just in terms of getting onto the car park and then we used the the sort of front main entrance i would say at the riverside just next to actually i saw the um the longman coach with, with the players in sort of park up and they used a, an entrance on the side near to the front main okay. reception went through there and well surprisingly I'm, I'm trying to think if they did take my temperature at the riverside um I'm not sure. Obviously, all masks, you know, you, you like you go to the shops, you, you're in your mask sort of thing. And that's an issue for, for people like myself with um, with glasses, because obviously, <laughs> you know, those those of you who wear glasses and, and go shopping know that, you know, breathing becomes a challenge because it just steams <laughs> up. And to be honest, whether I should admit this, I don't know in public domain, but I've, I've gone the whole, you know, nose over the mask just so my eyesight can work during a game <laughs> whether that would render the whole thing pointless but perhaps because i'm be wearing a mask at the meadow this weekend i'll say that i'll wear the mask properly obviously yes, yes. um i shall do the right thing even though that means i won't be able to write a match report because i won't be able to see anything <laughs> but um yeah you know at middlesbrough we we did we did that i, I was sort of ex- we had to sign in obviously extra sort of tracing measures there but they've got all of our details obviously because Actually, one thing worth mentioning, it's only one 
per press organization um mm. you know that they're, they're the rules now obviously before certainly for home games it'd be um myself and and bernard mcnally's press pass would be via the star um and, and we'd also at times have a a digital colleague with me who would interview fans after the game and whatnot as, as you know so sometimes we'd have three press passes at the meadow uh it's only one now per, per organization so uh for borough the, I was ex- escorted up to the press box, which was right at the top of the main stand. A uh, lot of climbing. It was uh, yeah. Welcome back to, uh, to to fitness climbing stairs and that. And it was spread out. It was a big, spacious press box at, at the Riverside, as you'd imagine. And there were very few of us there, to be honest. Obviously, it was a low, relatively low-profile game for Borough. You know, for their first game back as well. But obviously, they'd they'd returned, hadn't they, when the championship season had resumed? So they were all. You know, the home press were, were familiar with all the, the goings-on sort of thing while we were all sort of tentative and not sure what to expect. And it was very different. You know, I, I suspect at Middlesbrough there's a big media room, you know, to cater for, for all the press, but I didn't see that, unfortunately. Literally, all, all, all we got was, you know, out into the stand, to the top of the stand, and sort of, oh, by the way, if you need the toilet, you know, it's, it's down there kind of thing. And you're almost escorted the whole way to the toilet. I mean, the, the media room was shut, um, which obviously means, you know, no no press food, no no nothing like that, um, which which is, you know, I know we'll get on to talking about, which is a big loss. Disappointing to you, Lewis. <laughs> yeah, I suppose I, I understand in, in the circumstance. Um, and, and we were really stuck out there, to be honest, you know, nowhere to, to sort of go at half-time or full-time other than the loo. Um, and, and at full-time... Yeah, we sort of having to space along the, the the press bench sort of thing, which wasn't a problem because there was there wasn't many there uh, given the, the the size of it. And then at full time, sort of escorted right the way down this main stand. I mean, if people saw my my Twitter feed from that night, they'd know how high up we we were. We were escorted <laughs> right down that stand to, to pitch side to do um, do the post match stuff with with Sam and um, who did we speak to that night? Raquel Pike. Um, which was was okay. We we sort of had to do it from a distance. I mean, it's more of an issue for for Radio Shropshire really. And and poor Dunny has got this. I hope he he doesn't mind me saying this new sort of elongated pole microphone thing that he has to <laughs> operate there to keep um keep the manager and player a, a safe distance. So that was um a lot of trial and error going on there. You know, I, I don't envy how the radio guys had to cope with their their comms. You know, with Mark in the studio watching on iFollow. I don't envy that. But, you know, when the game obviously got started, from, from my point of view, it was business as usual, you know, um, yeah. getting the match report done and the live updates and whatnot. But very different. I mean, I watched Premier League and Championship football when it returned a lot. So I saw the games on telly behind closed doors, you know, the fake noise, but nothing. Not not even the friendlies at Telford, which were obviously empty as well. I went to a couple of. As usual. Nothing prepared me for when that game started at Middlesbrough. And, you know, at 35,000 empty stadium it was absolutely Weird. bizarre you know absolutely crazy to experience it felt like a pre-season training game that you'd be invited to you know with no fans there or you know it's, it's not even comparable to to two or three hundred at a checker trade game to be honest Glenn, because at least then there's still some you know cheering and noise mm. it's just you know that I, I think they've played a bit of music out of the PA but it's just crazy how the players 
managed to sort of adjust to it. I have no idea. Well, because one of the things that's notable from some of those games I've watched on Sky where you could have like a commentary in the background or you could have um, like the yeah. pre-match, sorry, the piped in noise, or you could just hear the, the stadium and the commentary is how much you could hear the players and the manager. So at those two games, was it something you've you noticed, you know, quite how Ricketts works a bit more? I suppose you sit a lot closer to him than maybe most of our fans do yeah, anyway, but he sounded loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, well, certainly I've just said for Middlesbrough, we were very high up um, and we could still, I say hear everything, but every time Ricketts raised his voice, you know, we heard it and ditto with the players, really. Mm. Um, Portsmouth, similar, I, I suppose, in terms of, the top of that same stand behind the dugout, not as high at the, uh, as the Riverside, that stand at Fratton Park, but again, quite a way away. But but yeah, you know, it was, I suppose, with with no crowd and, and less distractions to look at in terms of, you know, the fans and what noise the fans are making, there, there was more attention on the management. And then obviously mm. with them raising their voice, you know, it's all you can hear sort of thing. You, you're drawn to the you know, it draws your attention more and it, it was interesting. Um, you could hear more, you could hear more of Ricketts' shouts to individual players. You know, I think I remember hearing Ricketts say drive, drive a lot um, before Scott High scored that opener at Middlesbrough. <laughs> um, so, you know, signs there, I suppose, straight away because obviously this whole new style, new system, more attack-minded, signs straight away at the start of the Borough game, you know, to, to get forward to, mm. you know, as soon as you win the ball to, to power forward with it. And and that was the case at Pompey as well, you know, certainly first half when, when Town were well in that game there. I know Pompey had most of the ball second half, but yeah, I, I would say certainly in the Borough game, because it was a 4-3, there were, there were signs both on the pitch and, and sort of, in the technical area, you know, from the manager and, and his staff, Dean Whitehead's quite animated as well um, of, of this new sort of, you know, front-footed, you know, get forward, get bodies forward, get, you know, move with the ball forward. There, there were signs of that, yeah. So mm. hopefully town fans that, that go on Saturday can see that. Yeah, that's an interesting observation for me. Obviously, you could hear them shouting, but you couldn't quite hear what they were saying sometimes. A lot of reset, reset I could hear on the TV, particularly in the Portsmouth yeah. game. But, um, yeah, 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 I didn't know. Reset, yeah. To yeah, know, right. yeah, to to notice it was that um, positivity and telling them to get forward from the sidelines is quite an interesting observation for me as a fan. So yeah, looking forward to hearing that on Saturday when we go. Um, before we just talk about the thousand person trial and before we we wrap this little chat up, um, Lewis, um, you did mention your halftime food and and anyone that follows you on Twitter and and kind of knows you knows you enjoy your uh, your your uh, uh-huh. delights of the job. But yeah, nothing at the moment. You taking a packed lunch, a couple of jaffa cakes or something? What's what's going on? What did I do? I'm kind of think <laughs> I'm very lucky because. Um, Despite it being a, a 5.30 kickoff at Middlesbrough, the, the star, uh, my employers were kind enough to, to put me up overnight at, in, nice. in Middlesbrough. So, um, you know, the delights of, of Middlesbrough. <laughs> um, I had a, a Premier Inn up there, which was you could see from the ground, actually. I could see the ground from my window. So knowing that there probably wouldn't be any press food, I, my other half happily uh, sorted me out some pasta before the game. So I, <laughs> I put that with me in the knowledge that I'd be able to sort of have it in the hotel room after the game because I wouldn't be back that late. Um, I didn't know how sort of funny the, you know, the club Middlesbrough would be with me sort of taking a whole sort of <laughs> in my laptop bag, you know, given the current climate. Um, so I sort of, I think I smuggled a couple of like sort of cereal snack bars in and, and 
they helped me through the game. Uh, but yeah, I had my pasta in my hotel oh, there you room go. after. Yeah. Five o'clock in the morning, so that was okay. For Pompey, I, I, um, what did we do? We made a weekend of Pompey actually. Oh, nice. Um, no press food there, there either. But yeah, it sort of took a couple of big chocolate bars in to get me through, and then. Yeah, it's it's sad though. There are there are very few perks of my job, Glenn. I mean, town fans might argue, you know, I get to see all the games for free and whatnot in the current climate. But um, yeah, very few perks. But one of them is press food. So you know, the sooner that comes back, the better. But <laughs> I saw, I did see the. Um, it was funny. I was going into Pompey, and obviously the the being sort of escorted up to the. Been there a few times, so I know the way. But I was escorted up, and and we sort of were diverted past the. In, in one of the concourses, like a table that was full of um, stuff for hot drinks, you know, like tea, sort of coffee, mm. milk, and and, and bottles of water. And I, I sort of said, oh, is this is this for us? You know, can I take a, a bottle and a cooker up sort of thing? And, and it was, no, no, they're for the, uh, they're, they're for the, the executives, you know, they're for the board. So um, I, left, I left the chairman's um, cup of tea to, to him, you there know, we go. And, uh, and went up. So, yeah. No. You'll survive. You'll survive. Well, uh, uh, we'll talk about the thousand-person trial. We're obviously we are having the catering vans around the back of the stadium on Saturday. So if you can s- yeah. sneak out half-time, Lewis, you can at least get some chips. But um, <laughs> yeah, and that, that brings us really to to a change because when we set up this little chat, we weren't going to discuss where we thought this was going to be another behind closed doors game. And really, that's what we wanted to have a talk about is that kind of um, thing you've just set out to us. But obviously, we will have a thousand town fans there on Saturday. And yeah, I think you've you've, you've put some stuff in the paper today about the monumental effort that's gone on. And I think all town fans will recognise the work that's gone on um, we won't talk about Ticketmaster because they're a shambles but fair play to the club for at least getting in there one of nine clubs it's it's great for the club isn't it well it's one of seven now isn't oh it? yeah yeah, yeah true but it, it was 10 obviously um, to pilot on Saturday tomorrow as, as we're speaking and, and three since um, three have since pulled out I can only assume that they're not ready really or that you know they don't quite have all the protocols sorted uh, I wouldn't imagine it'd be a lack of interest with those clubs that have pulled out. I can only assume that they're not ready, which again points to, you know, I've been fortunate to speak with, um, you know, I spoke with Mike Davis, the sport liaison officer at, yeah. and from the sport parliament for that piece. And he, you know, he detailed and I put it in the story, you know, just the, the scale of what they've had to do is hard to, hard to um, detail really. I mean, it's absolutely monumental and it has been going on for a long time you know we're not talking the last couple of months they've had to get this you know obviously town were quite vocal throughout lockdown of you know yes they wanted the season finished last season but they needed the new season starting and they needed fans back in the meadow as soon as possible because while town are so well run and financially secure you know how how long can they be financially secure without fans you know exactly. i think I remember Brian Caldwell quoting all kinds of figures, you know, into seven figures if if fans weren't allowed to, to return, you know, by Christmas, New Year, which which would have been an absolute nightmare, you know, for you know, for a lot well, for all clubs, certainly um clubs that are worse off than town. So yeah, it was it was so important that town got to work on the meadow as soon as they could. Um I'm talking months back if you're talking about the likes of Brian Caldwell. Mm. Bellaby, um, you know, safety officer, and, and I know Mike and, and Roger, the SLOs, you know, have worked worked so hard on it just to try and bridge that gap and, and give updates for, for fans as well, which I think they've done well. I think, you know, it's been good. I, I spoke to Mike throughout lockdown, really. I've probably done half a dozen stories with him. Um, you know, in his role, they're, they're always a good sort of um, point to, to, to give a quote or give an opinion on, you know, the club or what's going on. Um, 
yeah, I, I hope fans, and I, I'm pretty sure all fans appreciate the the effort the town have gone into to sort in this and appreciate that they are one of what one of seven now from from three divisions. So what's that? Uh, 22 from from 60 odd you know nearly 70 clubs they're one of seven you know to to get going and get fans back in and and sort of lead the way as sort of pioneers and, and sort of trailblazers if you like again to, to stick their heads above and, and get it sorted out just just like with safe standing really yeah. it shows that what, what a forward thinking club it is you know and everyone on the outside you know thinks are oh, you know little old truths but actually those that pay attention know that that they actually um you know, this club actually does stuff and is forward thinking and, and can make things happen, you know. Yeah, I think it's a fair place to leave that. I mean, as, as, as a child growing up in Shrewsbury, watching this football team when I was a kid and, and through my sort of adolescence and into my 20s, that wasn't the case. We, we did feel a little bit like little old Shrewsbury at the time at the game meadow and the change moving to the meadow and, and the, the, the incremental steps since then, particularly under some of our last CEOs, particularly under Brian and, and now, mm-hmm. especially with the sports department and everything they've done in terms of linking the fans and the club, yeah, every, every year seems to be a big step forward. And you're certainly right that the um, safe standing um, situation has made them learn a lot of lessons that they've been able to apply to this as well so yeah looking forward to it uh, Lewis and yeah looking forward to being back in the meadow and um, you, you'll already be your first game back as well won't it it'd be just nice to hear some fans so yeah, yeah, yeah my we'll... first, first time there since March yeah and I, I, I've got to say I fully expected it to be an empty meadow you know behind mm. both doors me too um, well, I, which, which I was intrigued to to experience obviously I've, you know I've been there dozens hundreds of times with no fans there but I was intrigued to to experience it, uh, but delighted. That, you know, it's only a thousand, but so happy that there will be fans there. It will make such a difference, even only a thousand compared to to, to, no, to no fans. It will make such a difference. And I'm even going to let you off that you nearly called me Ollie then. So that's all right. Don't worry. <laughs> so used to yeah. really talking to Ollie when I'm on these sorts of things and calls, but. Uh, there we go. Um, so, yeah, we'll get you back on probably after 10 games. We normally have a little bit of think about where this team's heading. So it'd be good to get you back on and talk some more football. Um, now we're past these strange times and hopefully we've got more and more fans coming in. So, yeah, cheers for joining us, Lewis. Um, enjoy Saturday and we'll yeah, catch thanks. up with you soon. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. Enjoy Saturday. So yeah, interesting chat, Ollie. Uh, you know, with Lewis, and, and really good to, to kind of get his thoughts on it. I thought that, as I did say during the interview, one of the interesting things was listening to him um, about how in those two games it was very clear from his observations of Ricketts. Obviously, you could hear everything was going on in those first two games about how his new kind of approach on the test uh, touchline was to really be forcing the players to get forward, attack, press. Um, maybe we didn't hear that on Saturday so much because a thousand people did make a noise, but interesting to see that he is on the sidelines and he is trying to enforce his will to, to get the players going forward a lot more. Yeah, you can definitely hear him. You can hear a lot of managers. Um, on, listen, you can hear him say reset a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting to see uh, what Lewis could hear. And yeah, obviously we, we were a bit further away on, on Saturday, so we couldn't hear the manager as well. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting insight. Yeah, interesting. Well, we'll have to get Lewis on, as I said, to talk some football. I said maybe 10 games in, get his observations, but um, we'll we'll definitely have Lewis back on now. And we'll wrap this podcast up, really. It's been a bit of a mammoth one, Ollie, but there's been lots to talk about. But we don't really want to talk about this, Ollie, because we're back to predictions now for this season. And we both went for a 2-1 win, which was spot on, other than the fact we both went for Shrewsbury to win 2-1 over Northampton, and it was the other way around. So... Yeah, next game, next league game, which is next Saturday, um, which we will not be at because there's almost certainly not going to be away fans allowed, so it'll be an iFollow job, is at Plymouth, who I suspect will be another challenge similar to Northampton, except they might be slightly better because I don't think they've got a huge injury crisis. So, again, a tricky tricky old game now. We're not having won the first two, Ollie. Yeah, it is a tricky game. So they won um, the first game of the league um, at home, 1-0 to Blackpool, and obviously we know that Blackpool are a good side. Yeah. And um, They lost to Lake Norian, actually, in the EFL Cup. 
3-2. And they had a crazy game on Saturday against Wimbledon, um, 4 all. Um, so that's hell. a bit mad. Um, so yeah, so potentially there's there's you know there's a, there's a potential here that there's going to be a, a few um, few goals. Um, yeah. And we do yeah we do seem to be following um, Wimbledon's fixtures actually because they played Northampton <laughs> and they drew two all, um, and then they had four all um, draw with Plymouth. So yeah, it's, this is going to be a tough one. It is certainly going to be a tough one. Yeah, they've got I think they've got Nile Canavan that played for us as one of the players. I don't think they've got any other ex players, but yeah, you always have, worry yeah. about ex players. Uh, in terms of predictions, you know, on the principle they've scored four and conceded four, let's let's go for at least us to get one um, and maybe kind of be be a bit more secure at the back. I might go for us to nick a 1-1 draw, Ollie. I'm not confident about us going down there and getting a winner, if I'm, if I'm honest with you. But, yeah, I'll go for 1-1 this week. Um, I'm going to go for a 2-1 Shrewsbury Town win. Oh, you're always like this at the start of the season, Ollie. You did this last year, ultra positive, and it cost you in the end. But um, yeah, why not? Why not? I don't. I don't consider. I mean, this should be one of our easier away games as they've just come up, I suppose. But it's so it's so early in the season; it's very hard to tell where this is going to go, isn't it? So, yeah, fingers crossed. You're right, Ollie. I'll be well happy with that. Um, and yeah, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll obviously have to do an eye follow job, and I'm sure you'll want to briefly mention what happened in the FL Trophy. Although I'm not interested in that at all. Um, so you might have to do a bit of talking on your own. But yeah, we'll definitely be back next week to cover the two games any changes in fans being let in for the next home game there'll be there'll be loads to cover again won't there at this point of the season yeah i'm sure it won't be as long as this for this pod but hopefully thanks <laughs> to those guys for sticking with us um yeah really appreciate um all your contributions and comments um that's why we do it we love we love chatting football and we love chatting to to fans about about the football yeah, it's just our last place to leave that, I suppose, is quite a nice point. Um, on the way into to the ground, there's obviously a thousand town fans there on Saturday. And I was talking to, to Chris Hudson, one of our friends next to us, and a guy was in front of me, never met him before. He just turned around and he said, are you Glenn Price? I was like, yeah. And he goes, oh, I recognise the voice off the podcast. I was like, oh, this is, this well, is interesting. And, <laughs> yeah, but he was a really nice bloke and he could not have been, you know, he, he, he was really chuffed with the, there being a Shoetown podcast and said, keep it going. And I think he said he worked at Shawbury um, Air Force Base and there was a load of lads that listened to it up there as well. So, yeah, it's it's good that we're kind of entertaining people with town and, and kind of bringing that chat together. And I apologise to him because I've totally forgotten his name now, but I, I, remember he worked at, <laughs> I remember he worked at RBF Shawbury. So, yeah, yeah, yeah things like that really. We'll give him a shout out next week. <laughs> things like that that do kind of uh, make it make it worthwhile really and uh, yeah we shall catch you all next Sunday enjoy your week oh!